Good morning, everyone. Uh, and I've greeted some of you already this morning. And uh, just a real delight to be together, isn't it? Uh, no matter what the weather, man, we're here to worship the Lord. And um, uh, we thank God for His presence. You know, there's something very unique about being the people of God, that we, we can sing songs, we can worship Him. And we're a singing people that can worship the Lord and to meet with Him and to encounter Him. And we thank God this morning that He's not just a distant God that we worship from afar, but He's the God that we draw near to in His Son, Jesus. Isn't that wonderful that we can actually draw near and have a relationship with the living God? And so, um, yeah, this morning I, I want to just share something very simply with you, a very simple message. And um, we had the privilege this week of being on our elders' camp. And we had from, well, for me, I was with Tuesday morning all the way through to last night. We had time with Andrew that leads Josh Jen across the different congregations and all the elders. And uh, we had a time just together kind of envisioning for the year. And it was awesome just to be together. And one of the things that, you know, actually every year we end up saying the same thing. Well, Andrew ends up saying the same thing every year, which is basically depend on the Lord and follow Him. And just get back to Jesus, you know, let's... Let's get back to the foundations of our faith. And friends, what I want to share with you this morning is I want to share with you, and I've entitled it, Who Do You Say Jesus Is? Who do you say Jesus is? And, you know, what makes a Christian, if I have to ask you, you know, what is the one thing that makes a Christian? What is it that defines someone who's a Christian? And the one thing must be is not because you follow, because you're more moral, or because you're better than anybody else, or because you better behaved, than anybody else. I mean, those are good things to do. Or because you read your Bible more regularly than anyone else. Although, again, that's a good thing to do. But what makes you a Christian is the fact that you're a follower of that man, Jesus Christ. And because you're a follower of that man, Jesus Christ, and you together with other people that follow that man, Jesus Christ, that makes you a Christian. That when you trust him and you believe him and you hold fast to him, even when the world says, what? Are you a Jesus freak? Are you one of those people that follow Christ? You know, you really believe that He's God? You really worship Him? What makes you a Christian is that you're a follower of that God-man, that man who walked on the earth and today is seated at the right hand of the Father. And, um, and I want to share just with you a story. A, a number of years ago, I think it was about a year, a year and a half ago, during the holidays, I read a book. And I enjoy reading. I'm a bit of a bookworm. If you want to get me excited... Get me into a bookshop, then I get all sweaty, my palms go sweaty, and I get all excited, you know, especially a second-hand bookstore. It's like, yeah, let's go visit, man. I know some of you are into adrenaline sports. I also enjoy sport, but man, I enjoy bookstores, okay? So I'm a bit of a bookworm, a bit of a geek in that way, but I was reading a book a number of uh, yeah, a year or so ago about the story of the Wright brothers. The Wright brothers were um, two men that were obsessed about being... Um, a flying, but, and they were obsessed about building an aircraft, an aircraft, an aeroplane that would fly people in it. And uh, they spent their life absolutely obsessing over this one thing, how to fly. And, um, and so as the story unfolds, they actually begin to fly. They build this, 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 this aeroplane, and they go down to uh, a, place, a place, I think it was in one of the Carolinas, South Carolina in the States, and there was a very famous beach there that had this long sand dune that would down, and they found this perfect spot where they could launch their aeroplane, and if it crashed, it would land on the sand, they wouldn't be hurt. 
And, um, and so they, they called their plane, I think the Kitty Hawk. But what they did was they managed to fly slowly at first, you know, uh, 50 foot. Then they went 120 feet, which was for them remarkable. And they sent back a telegram back to their family members where they were from. Um, I was not actually in North Carolina. And they sent back a telegraph to send this in news because no one had ever flown that far before. Uh, was it 120 feet? Yeah. And this is what they sent. They sent this telegraph, and I want you to listen carefully to what they said. They said this. Um, so this is in 1908. They were so excited, Orville and Wilbur Wright, those are the brothers, that they sent a telegram to their sister Catherine, and they said this, two sentences. Number one, we have flown, we have actually flown 120 feet, full stop. Second sentence, we will be home for Christmas. Catherine rushed to the city newspaper office and thrust the cable into the hands of the newspaper editor. Thrust it into their hands. She was so excited, she knew the implications of what this meant, that they had made history. He reads it, he smiled, and his words were, written, were recorded. He said, well, well, how nice. The boys will be home for Christmas. So two sentences, we have actually flown 120 feet, we will be home for Christmas, and he missed what could have been the new scoop of the century. And this, mis this editor, he didn't get the main point, he focused on secondary because he didn't understand the importance of what he was reading. And friends, you know, when we read our Bibles, we can read our Bibles and we can get into it all kinds of moral commands that are good, how to live and how, the kind of people that we should be. But if we don't get the main point, the primary point, which is this, you need to know the, person, the Lord, your God. You need to love Him, and you need to know the Son, Jesus Christ. And the whole Bible testifies to that one thing, to know and to encounter and to put your faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And if you don't get that, you've missed the whole point of the Bible. And we've got to get back the whole time that what makes a Christian, although there are other things that are important, but he's a follower of Jesus Christ. And you know, Jesus himself, um, who's the object of our faith, the one we worship, the one we know, there's this wonderful story in Mark chapter 8 where he's talking with his disciples and he asks them two questions. And I'm just going to very simply give you those two questions today. Let's read Mark chapter 8 from verse 27 to 30. And um, Mark chapter 8, 27 to 30. And... Um, sorry, oh, you've got it, thank you. And it says this, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Um, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And so that's the first question. They said, Well, who do people say that I am? And he was in an area where there was the worship of many gods. It was given over to the worship of Caesar. The, the, the town was built in the honor of this man, Caesar. And among these great men, he says, but who do, you say, who do men say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And the disciples answer things like this. And they told him, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. So people acknowledge that Jesus was a prophet, that he was a, he was a moral teacher, that he was a good man. And, but many of them weren't sure. They thought they knew, but they weren't sure who he really was. And, you know, I remember I worked with a, a Muslim. I was a high school teacher for a number of years. And one of my colleagues was a Muslim man. And I remember often having to talk to him about Jesus. And we just would talk. And I would ask him, you know, but, but who do people say that Jesus is? Who do people in your community, 
in your Muslim community who say that Jesus is? And he would say, well, we believe that Jesus was a, a great prophet and a great teacher. But friends, if we land there, if we end there, then actually you, we cannot be saved because if that's what Jesus was, we are doomed. And so they believe that, but they've boxed him in. They've lowered him into something that he's actually not, that the Bible doesn't say. Um, and, then, and many of our world you know, says that. I, and I showed a video to the students last year. We teach on this. And there's a video clip. If you YouTube, get onto YouTube and you type the question, who is Jesus? Um, you know, there's been interviews done on the streets. And some say, ah, Jesus, he was just like Nelson Mandela. He was a good man. You know, and over time, because Nelson Mandela was such a great man, um, it's as if um, over time, the centuries after Mandela, they, they begin to make him into be a legend, someone who's not. And eventually, the followers of Nelson Mandela begin to worship him as something that he wasn't. And he would have never seen himself like that, but we've made him to be something bigger than he actually is. And many people believe that. They believe he was kind of a legend. Friends, that's not what the Bible says. So he asked them, who do people say that I am? And I know for some of us, we struggle with that, you know. Who really was Jesus? Um, because the world tells us things. The media tells us things of who Jesus was. Some of us have grown up with a picture of Jesus as maybe the stern headmaster in the sky. This, this austere God who, who's far away and who kind of has got a big stick. And, he, and he's very quick to point his stick at you or point his finger at you and says, you, you know, and he'll kind of be quick to put his frown on you. Some of us, have, I grew up like that, with that kind of Jesus. Some of you have grown up with a Jesus who's like with, 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 with long hair, you know, kind of this picture in, in the movies, with a long white robe and maybe a flower behind his ear, with like hippie Jesus, you know? Like your guru Jesus. And that kind of Jesus is your friend, but that Jesus is never above you. He's kind of, he always meets your needs and he's like your personal guru. It's like he's your personal friend who gives you whatever you want, you know? And people do that. They, they take Jesus and they say, well, Jesus makes you live your best life now. You know, in the words of, of a famous preacher and the famous book, I want to say Jesus does not exist for you. We exist for him. There's a difference. And, and what the world has done is perverted the person of Jesus to be this personal assistant as if Jesus follows me. And I say, come, Jesus, would you bless my plans? Would you bless my life as if God exists to bless us? Now, he does bless us, but we have to get the order right. And we have these skewed pictures of Jesus. And I know I grew up like that. I grew up in the Catholic church where when we walked into the church on Sundays, it was always a cross with Jesus on the cross. And I always thought, poor Jesus, poor Jesus, you know, he's always suffering, he's a suffering servant, and I never understood who he was. And it carries on, and, and here Jesus asks them, and he says in verse 29, okay, he said the first question, who do people say that I am? And the second question he asked them, but who do you say that I am? I love that, he says, no, but who do you? At the end of the day, friends, that question, who do you say that Jesus is? That question is the most important question that you could ever answer. There is no more important question in life than that one question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? There is no more important question. The way you answer that question determines your eternal salvation or determines your damnation. There is no other way. 
The right answer from the heart will save you. But the wrong answer out of unbelief will damn you and condemn you to hell. And we wish it wasn't that way, but the ways of God, because Jesus came, if he is the savior of the world, that means that we have to understand and see him rightly and who he is. And some people believe in another kind of Jesus, like Corinthians says. Friends, we've got to believe in the right Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of our imagination or the Jesus of our culture or the Jesus of the way that we've been brought up. And Peter answers, I love what this says, and I want to kind of bring it to a landing um, soon. And he says this, he answers, and Peter answered him, and he gives him the correct answer. But Peter doesn't give him the correct answer. It's like, you know, at school where you've been learning the answers, and now you're in your mind. It's like, ooh, ooh, pick me, pick me. Like, I know the answer. Teacher, teacher, you know, me, 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 me. It's like, you've got the right answer. He, he doesn't answer Jesus in a cerebral way, in a way that just involves mental capacity. He answers him, Jesus says, out of revelation. In other words, God has revealed to him, he understands with the, in a sense, out of faith, that Jesus, it says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In other words, he says, you are the Messiah. In other words, the word Messiah means the King, who has come to rule and reign over the nations of the earth. And then Jesus says, but blessed are you, Peter. And he, and he says, but my Father has revealed this to you and who you are. And... Um, Friends, I want to say to us this morning is like, let's make sure that we're following the right Jesus, the one that is the maker of the heavens and the earth, not from a distance, but the one that came as a substitute and who actually took our place on the cross, where I and you should have died on the cross for disobeying Jesus. And here he comes, this perfect man, perfect God, and he becomes a servant and he takes our place at the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice, as an atonement for our sins. And, um, you know, I've been reading through Leviticus, and I want to uh, just share this. Is, uh, in Leviticus, you know, the Old Testament is a very difficult book to read. I don't know about you, but I know when I read the Old Testament, I've often said reading parts of the Old Testament is like, re it's like learning about a strange family member. Like we generally avoid parts of the Old Testament. I mean, how many of us, you know, I know one or two might like Leviticus or Numbers, but generally, we avoid those books because they're like the strange family member that none of us quite understand. We kind of avoid them, you know, at a distance. But I've been rereading um, the books of the law and asking myself the question, and I want to say, when you read the Bible, there's a very helpful thing to ask yourself the question, this question, what does this show me about the nature of God? And when you ask yourself that question, reading the law, you'll be amazed of how it reveals to you what Jesus is like, what the Son of God is like. And I've been reading Leviticus and reading about the sacrificial, the priesthood, and how they had to sacrifice animals, you know, in the temple. And, um, you know, if you were a priest and sacrificing animals, it's like going into a butchery. Um, if you go into butchery and you go behind, you know, the butcher wears a white cloak. If you have a proper flaces, an o flaces. And you got, look at those old butchers. They don't look all nice in front of the counter. They've got those white doctor's coats on. But they've been slaughtering animals in the back. And when they come out, they're covered in blood. Any of you been to those kind of butchers? Or you look at the back and there's blood on the floor because there's been sacrifice. There's been animals slaughtered. Friends, you know in the Old Testament, that's what the priests were like. 
They were like butchers. They, they wore clothing. Although they had special clothing, it was often splattered in blood. And the floor of the tabernacle, or, or uh, not the tabernacle, but the outer court, would often be strewn with blood. And when you walked in as a worshiper, and you were guilty, you were someone that knew you had sinned against God, and you wanted forgiveness, you walked into that place, and you saw like a butchery. You saw the blood. You saw it everywhere. And you'd bring your animal as a, as a picture of, of, of that your sins would be forgiven through this animal. And what they would do, if you were a, a worshiper, you'd come with a little goat or a, a lamb. But if you couldn't afford an animal, God would say, you can bring a dove. And if you couldn't afford a dove, he said, you can bring some, some grain. And you can throw grain on the altar. And, and they would come with a little animal or a little dove if you're very poor. And what you would do is you'd bring it to the priest and you'd say, I've sinned against God. I've disobeyed him. And I need forgiveness. And what the priest would do is the priest would take your hands and he would make you lay your hands on the dove or on the animal, on the goat, with his hands. And together you would confess your sins onto that animal. And then what they would do is take that animal and they would, they would, they would kill the animal on the altar. On, it's like a massive braai. It's huge braai. That's what it was like. Burning day and night where they would sacrifice it on there and when you as a worshiper, you would see someone else pay for your sins. An animal that hadn't done anything wrong. And we know that Jesus, when he comes along, he says, but I am the Lamb of God. Or he says, I am, I'm, I'm the dove. I'm the one that will take your place on the cross. I will be sacrificed on your behalf. And when I read that stuff, friends, it's like, it leads me to worship that we serve a God that has made a provision. He came on a search and rescue mission to pay for our sins. Oh, what a privilege it is. That's the God that we serve, this Messiah. And then I'm going to end with a scripture. And so, although this Jesus, he is a Lord, he is God. In Mark chapter 8, straight after this, um, Mark 8 verse 34, and I'm going to end with a scripture and land. And in Mark 8 34, straight after this section, he says... And he says, this, he says, then he called the crowds, he called the crowd to him with his disciples. And I want to say this, there will always be a crowd following Jesus. But they come to Jesus for what they can get. But you know, when Jesus died eventually, there was no crowd anymore. They had left him because he became unpopular. And friends, I want to ask you, are you going to be part of the crowd where you kind of come to God because of what you can get. Maybe you want healing. Maybe you want, you want bread. Maybe you want provision. And you come to Jesus because he's the miracle worker. But if he doesn't give you what you need, you're gone. He always had a crowd. But beyond the crowd, he had disciples. And friends, may we be those that a disciple, again, is a follower. No matter if he blesses me or not, I'm going to follow him. Because if he is the rightful Lord, dare I not follow him. And so it says, in calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, and now he gets really tough with them, and he says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, for whoever would save his life would lose it, and loses his life for my sake and the gospels would find it. And so I want to end with this to say that to be a follower of Jesus is not only to acknowledge that you have to put your trust in him, as Lord and God. You've got to believe that he took your sins like that little lamb or that dove. But you also have to respond and say, Lord, a follower of Jesus follows Jesus. 
a follower of Jesus actually follows him. And it means that there's a cost to following him and a joy to following him. And friends, would we this year, not just in lips, but in action, to say, God, may my life be given to you. If I follow you, there's going to be a cost involved. If Jesus is Lord, that means you can't be Lord. If Jesus is at the center, it means you can't be at the center. And you have to bow your, 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 your likes and your, your loves to him. Oh, I wish I could give you story after story. It's warm, so I'm going to land it because I know it's like, you know, we, we want to we wanna go out and, and jump in the pool, but we want to worship him as well. Sorry, where am I going with this? Um, we have a saying in Josh Jen, we have a saying called dying to live. And it's a value of ours. In other words, to say that if, if you really want to live in the Lord, you've got to die. In other words, you've got to lay down your life. Why do we do that, friends? We don't do that because we're masochists. We love pain and suffering. We don't love pain. Some say, but how do you live in Wellington? Do you like love pain? Do you love the heat? Do you love to sweat all the time? No, I don't. I live in Wellington because I love Jesus, because he's called me here, and I'm willing to put up with it. Friends, we follow Jesus, and we lay our lives down because he's worthy. That's why we do so. Wherever you are, oh God, you're worthy. And so may we respond to him this morning in these things. Let's follow him. Uh, and ask you, who do you say that I am? Let's go back to him. And as you read, as you prioritize even reading the Bible this year, make sure that you do so to meet the author of the word, the God of the Bible. And then from that, we live for him. So I'd like to pray for you. And as I pray for you, you know, earlier there was a, a word that came out, I think from France, about a divine appointment. And maybe you are here today and you know that the Lord Jesus Christ has a divine appointment with you. In some ways, he's got his calendar, and he's written down in his calendar your name today, on Sunday. He's got your name in there. Today, he, wants to, he wanted to meet with you, maybe to hear this, a very simple message, but to come back for Jesus to be Lord. And I want to ask you right now, with everyone looking at me, that if you know that the Lord has been calling you but if you're honest, you've been running and walking your own race. You've been running for yourself, running for your own life. And, and, and maybe you've even prayed to Jesus and said, Jesus, would you bless me? Would you follow me, Lord? But now you realize that to be a disciple means actually you've got to say, Lord, I will follow you no matter what you say. And maybe you've never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Or you have and you've fallen away from him and you've lived for yourself. I want to pray for you today that you'd come and meet with the Lord again, that you'd have your sins forgiven, and that the Lord would make you right with Him because there's nothing greater. And so let's pray together. Father, if there is anyone like that today, that they know, Lord God, that you're calling them, they know, Lord, that you are in a sense knocking, that you are wooing them, that you're speaking to them, and maybe they've been running from you, Lord, but they sense right now, you sense right now the Holy Spirit drawing you to himself. Maybe you've been t treating God like an attachment on your life, but he says, no, I want to be the center. Would you surrender your life to me? Would you acknowledge me to be Lord? Is there anyone like that? Would you, and you want, you want, you want prayer, you want to make an acknowledgement to say, Father, today I'm going I'm to come to you. 
and I want to repent of my sins, and I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to turn to you. Is there anyone like that? Would you raise your hand? That you want to respond to the Lord? Thank you, ma'am. Is there anyone else this morning that you want to, you want to respond to God? Just with that lady who's raised her hand. Can you keep your hand up there, ma'am? And just with like Carla, maybe and Anil, just come and just, just stand next to her. Can we just pray? Father, we thank you for this, this lady who's responded to you. Father, you know her situation. And Lord, even as she does business with you today, Lord, and, and the ladies pray for her, would you come and take out a heart of stone and give her a heart of flesh? Would you come, Lord, this morning, that even as she surrenders to you and not brings her, you her best, but she brings her worst, and you accept